0: Well, hello and welcome to The Connected Table Live. We're your hosts, Melanie Young and David Ransom, your insatiably curious culinary couple. Each week we bring you the dynamic people who are front and center and behind the scenes in food, wine, spirits, and hospitality. We lead a delicious life and we enjoy sharing it with all of you around the world. And today is the day before american holiday thanksgiving it's it is so quiet right
1: i know crickets <laughs> crickets cuz everybody's on the road
0: we sat in- including our guests yes. who were waiting for so who's calling from france but they don't celebrate thanksgiving we tried to book guests today that aren't necessarily on the road um, it's so funny david i sent out our blog that you can find it the connectedtable.com tomorrow and i must have received 20 out-of-office responses, <laughs> but we're here, right?
1: Yeah, we are. Yes. And it's a beautiful day, finally, although we're, we're, we're in the Northeast, and we're about to get a super cold snap for tomorrow.
0: Yeah, so, you know, in fact, it's so cold that some people may not be on the road, although AAA is expecting record um, travelers this year, because I guess gas prices are okay. I don't know. We're not going you know, it's anywhere. It's
1: interesting. They actually say that um, tons of people are traveling today, but even more people are traveling on Sunday. So I'm a little bit confused as to how that happens but Oh I
0: well I can tell you how that happens they're going home David and we're ready to introduce our guest who is now joining
2: us from France. This man is an entrepreneur who is ex- successful. He was uh, CEO um, and then chairman of one of my favorite luxury brands of all times, Cartier International. Uh, love my watch. And he is the proprietor of a historic Chateau La Grisette, which is in quote, Hors region of France. Um, we had the chance to meet Alain-Dominique Perrin uh, in September when he came to New York and hosted a fabulous dinner in honor of his good friend and collaborator Michelle Rolland, right David?
1: Yes, who we've also had on the show.
2: Yes, and they've been collaborating on um, the wines for Chateau La Gravette, as we said, for 30 years, so Alain-Dominique Perrin, uh, welcome to The Connected Table Live.
3: Okay, thank you very much. Good evening for me and good afternoon for you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, thank you. We know we know you're you're a busy guy, and I think you're actually calling from your car. So, thanks for taking the time to yes. do so. Yes, <laughs> uh, I'm on the motorway. Wonderful. So, um,
2: you have a really interesting uh, career. You grew up in Nan- Nantes, 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 no, and worked no. in an antique. Nantes, sorry for my bad French. I need to go live in Paris. I worked as an antiques dealer before joining Cartier, and as we said, becoming Mm -hmm. CEO of Mouda Cartier and then board chair of Cartier International. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. What inspired you to purchase Chateau Le Grisette?
3: I was looking for a beautiful, you know, in France, you find some beautiful old chateau, And I was looking for one a bit remote from famous places like Saint-Tropez or... Biarritz or Deauville or whatever, and I found it. It was not in very good condition, but it was in a very famous vineyard where they grow Malbec, because Malbec was not born in Argentina. Malbec was born in France about 1,400 years ago. Yeah, well, oh, the
2: Argentinians just have been doing a big PR campaign to own it, that's all. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know, I always, well, and I always tell people, I say, the real Malbec, would the real Malbec please stand up? And it's always the French Malbec for me.
2: So the yeah, area is yeah. called the Cahors, the C-A-H-O-R-S, which is yeah, it's yeah. known Carol, for a more rustic style, right? Yeah. A more rustic style yeah, of Malbec, right, correct? Yeah, right,
3: right, right. Cahors is a city in the southwest of France, uh, just in the middle of distance between Bordeaux and Toulouse, and the Cahors wine is famous to be very rustic, as it was uh, just after the last war. Uh, but now, now the Cahors that is made today is uh, considered one of the best best wine in France today, and uh, some Malbec are exceptional as they can be in Argentina. And uh, I think it's not right to say that today that Caro is very rustic. It was, and that's true. But today Caro, that in fact we don't call them Caro anymore. We call them more Malbec or or Caro Malbec, and uh, they are are making good wine now. And uh, the story is that probably the number one.
1: Well, La Grosette is a, is a very famous and very historic winery and vineyard, and, uh, and, yes. you, and your wines are absolutely fabulous and uh, obviously made from Malbec. And you actually have Michel Rolland consulting with you to yes. make your Malbec. So why don't you tell us a little bit about how you guys got involved together and, uh, and, and what's transpired since.
3: Yeah, I was looking for somebody really experienced in Malbec, and who has, a really, who has a good experience in, in um, making wine and making uh, Malbec of a high quality. Finally, the manager of Mouton Rothschild, one of the famous Bordeaux, one day told me, but why don't you meet Michel Roland? He's already a quite famous uh, uh, wineologist in Bordeaux, and I'm sure he would be interested to meet you. Okay. To make it short, we met, we get together very fast, and he started making uh, Château La Grizette. At the beginning, it was in a coop, and after three years, he told me, "Okay, no more. I won't stay in the cooperative. Please, please make a winery." I said, "Okay, you have my word. I make a winery." And we opened the winery for the um, harvest 1992, and we made we made the the, the first Château La Grizette. I would I would say homemade. And it was, it got a golden medal right away. And uh, the wine is still very good. And it went on and on and on. And I must say that every year the wine was, was better. And recently we just finished the harvesting in uh, uh, 2018. And it is just a miracle, a miracle. And I think uh, this, this wine will be one of, I mean, one of its kind.
2: Well wow. um, you know tell why don't we talk about your different you have a couple of different uh labels for Chateau yeah, La Grisette. Yeah. Let's talk about your flagship um label first, Le Pigeonier. Yeah, pigeonnier. <laughs> Again, yeah. I need to move to Paris and 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 work and, yeah. and, and practice my French more uh, yeah. <laughs> on that. Yeah. Or, or or Bordeaux. I'm ready. My suitcase is ready. <laughs>
3: Pigeonier means nothing. Pigeonier, it's a very famous house in which the pigeons used to stay. Because, you know, in the past, the pigeons, they were the post office of the, of the landlord's owning chateau. And when they wanted to send some mail, they would send it by pigeons from a chateau to another one.
2: That actually, isn't that also the same as the little region we did with the nice little couple where they had the same situation? What's that? Oh, Gaiac. 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 They told us that similar story. It must be a very uh, French tradition, the pigeons. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Wow. It's about one hour from Gaiac. One hour away. Yeah. Yeah. That's, okay. So similar traditions. So yeah. um, that is a Malbec-based one. Are, are all your wines um, Malbec-based, or do you have other um, ones that are... Um, because when we no. were with you at uh, La we I think ours were mainly 100% Malbec, right? Mm-hmm. But nah. you also have Bordeaux yeah, but blends, but right? No, I
3: have a, no, no, no. I have a white, which is made with Viognier, which is not a cow mm-hmm. wine, which is not a Malbec wine, which is highly successful. The famous English um, uh, wine specialist Chances Robinson uh, just gave my wife 18 out of 20. I must say I'm quite proud because uh, we found uh, ourselves in front of famous Gigal and famous Jamais from Cote Rôtie or from Condrieu. Mm-hmm. Anyway, mm-hmm. so the white is Viognier with a bit of Chardonnay. Uh, the, the, the rest is Malbec with a bit of Merlot. <clears throat> we have a Rosé with pure Malbec. Pigeonnier, we were speaking about, is 100% Malbec, 13 mm-hmm. months in New Oak Barrels. So it takes a bit of time to make it. And uh, I have a lot of label because I have a lot of different qualities. You know, according to the the soil, the climate, the sun, uh, the wind, we have different qualities and different terroir at a different price, obviously. So we have different labels.
2: Well, um, just for our listeners, I have the menu from the dinner you hosted uh, to celebrate your uh, wonderful collaboration with Michelle Roland. It was September twenty seventh, 2018, at mm-hmm. La Bernardin, And you served that yeah, with a beignet, so. uh, yeah. yes. with, with a Dungeness crab cake with Old Bay crisp shellfish cardamom emulsion. And it was simply delicious. Oh, my God, you make me hungry. <laughs> <laughs> You're making us hungry too, and we're and we're and we're trying yeah. to save up for Thanksgiving tomorrow. <laughs> now you no, have no, actually no three no vineyards. Time here. <laughs> <laughs> you actually have three vineyards at Chateau La Grisette. yeah, um, yeah. yeah. And how, how, how how where are they? I mean, it's a very large property, and the aerial listeners, is, it's quite spectacular. And how mm-hmm. far away are they in terms of geography, and how are they different?
3: The white wine I was talking about, which is the Viognier. Is about one hour away by car. It's about, I would say, 40 (laughs) miles, 45 miles. The the other two parcels are called Kayak and Landièche. And Landièche is about probably 35 minutes away. So, yeah, 35, 40 minutes away. The main one being Kayak, where the castle and the pigeonnier are located. Okay? Mhm,
2: and, and you the know soil but, the, is
3: but the whole thing is is operation because uh in in power it's different from Bordeaux where you have um what do you call it uh saint Emilion, different names that's different Cahors is one there is only one region, so you
1: Well, he is in his car.
2: He may be in a. It may be a tunnel in France (laughs) right now. (laughs) He 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 may be in the tunnel and about to come out of the tunnel. But what he was talking about was the different um, vineyards. There are three different vineyards at Chateau Lagravette. The the soil in most of them is limestone. We were trying to show the different terroirs. Very true. Um, And one of them uh, is for his white. Which is a V and a uh, little bit of a blend there, and the others, uh, his other wines are Malbec, um, and it's a little bit of Merlot. So hopefully he'll come back into yeah. the into the out of the tunnel, right, David?
1: I hope so too. And and uh, and if not, we'll try to get him on another time. But you know, let's talk about Malbec for a second. Yeah, let yes, I'm back. Need... Sorry.
2: Oh, you're back. Yeah, oh, I'm were sorry. you in a tunnel? We I'm forget back. you went through yeah. a tunnel. I'm on a small road. Let's
1: talk. You know, you know LM, now that we have you back, let's talk about Malbec for a second, because it is the grape yeah. of Cahor and yeah. it's the grape that made Cahor famous. And then it yeah. kind of got hijacked by Argentina for a while. But, you know, I, I talked to somebody recently, uh, a winemaker from Cahor who said, you know, I thank the, I thank the people from Argentina all the time because they, because they actually made us make better wine.
2: Yeah, true. true. What do you think about
3: that? Yeah, I think it's true, but something I want to be, to give a precision. We have, they they have not been hijacking Malbec. Malbec was devastated in France by the phylloxera in 1860. Right. And then to save the vineyard, we decided to send to Argentina and Chile some plants of Malbec quite a bit by boat. And when it arrived in Argentina and Chile, it was planted by some French people who went there and it was developed slowly at the beginning. And then now obviously Malbec in Argentina is huge. It's about 50,000 hectares. And uh, almost 90% of the growth, right? Yeah. I mean,
2: it's like the majority uh, of the wine, right?
3: Exactly. And it was developed by the French at the beginning at the end of the 19th century,
2: exactly, a scientist brought it over. Actually, wrote an article about this, and and so really because of the phylloxera, the Malbec was saved because it had to be relocated. And then it took years for the yeah. vines to be recultivated in France because of the the, the yeah. Exactly, yeah. and you know, yeah.
3: you know, in fact, when we restarted planting Malbec in France near Cahors, we brought it back from Argentina. We bought it right. we bought it from the Argentinian and the Chilean, and we brought it back and this is in the very late forties, early fifties nineteen fifty fifty one
2: right. Right, so really it's, it's a very special relationship and collaboration um, because yes. in, in many ways the mm. two countries saved each other because it, thanks to mm. bringing the, the um, rootstock over to Chile and Argentina, the Malbec was yeah. preserved, and at that time Chile and Argentina really didn't have much of a wine industry to speak of, and so it really raised them not at that yeah. international level, and, and particularly in mm. Argentina. Now they hang their hats on Malbec, and it's like yes. the Evita Peron of grapes. Um, and yes. meanwhile, then you were able to bring it back home to cultivate and have a successful mm-hmm. uh, reflourishment, replanting in, in, mm-hmm. in France. Um, yeah. So, yeah, so I'm curious, Alain, can people visit La Grisette?
3: No, I want to complete and we'll finished with Malbec. Uh, the, the funny okay. story is that M- Michel Roland has been working for some Argentinian vineyards for 40 years now. 45 years and he's behind the new Malbec from Argentina and he's behind the new success of Argentinian Malbec for the last 40 years. So, you know, it's quite funny because he's now do, doing it for me. In, it's, it's what comes
2: around goes around. That's this very day. true. Yeah. What comes around goes around. Alana, are you there? he may be just take, he may have just turned down another little country lane i bet he must be driving to um La Grisette. i was i was asking if anybody could visit or just if we could visit you know besides the fact that he oversaw cartier puts a big smile on his face did you know that he also has a camping i don't think this is camping i think this is glamping he has a he has a little he's diving into destination management as well and he has um Uh, uh, something called Camping Le Moulin, Le Guarini on the island of, I don't even know where this is. I wish he'd come back on because I'd like to know what it is. It sounds like a fabulous place to visit. Um, And uh, he also has created a luxury marketing school. I mean, I I don't think people understand, if you don't know the name, and although we had some wowses when we sent out our our e-blast this morning, how well-known and highly regarded in the luxury marketing industry so we're going to, I think at this point, we're going to get ready for our next guest who is, uh, thankfully, in the United States and in an office in a winery in Sonoma. Uh, but we do want to take um, this time to thank Alain Dominique Perrin because he is a very busy entrepreneur and for even taking the time from his new car. It, we really appreciate I it. it. I think
1: it would do us justice to be able to get him back on the show at another time where we can really kind of sit down and have a conversation. Well, well. particularly so, if, so if we, we were actually, yeah, we
2: will work on that, particularly if we can do it in person again. Because yeah. he really is a dynamic character. Um, but and there's in, lots to talk about. And there's lots to talk about, particularly this whole provenance of Malbec. Um, we're going to take a short break, and we will be back, and we will be again talking to our friends in Sonoma. You're listening to the Connected Table Live. <laughs> Well, that was interesting, uh, but now we're stateside, thank goodness, and we are you're listening to The Connected Table Live. We're your hosts, Melanie Young and David Ransom, You're insatiably curious culinary couple. Uh, we are now heading to Sonoma, and this winery is stunning and has such a rich history, and I pray I don't, I'm going to let our guests pronounce it correctly for us, because I've been practicing. <laughs> um, this winery is 160 years old. Old. So let's think about that. That's way, that's like 1858. That's like 10 years after the gold rush in San Francisco. Let's just put it into context. When two German immigrants got together and created a winery, it's called Gunlach Unschu. And I am going to ask our guest who is the sixth family member, sixth generation family member of this historic winery, to correct my pronunciation. Her name is Katie Brunshoop and she runs uh, the winery with her brothers and her family, and she's going to share the history. There's an amazing history here. It's, so it's a good.
1: wonderful history.
2: So, Katie, welcome to the Connected yes. Table Live, and did I get your pronunciation correct?
4: You did, Melanie. You did an A-plus for it. For sure, oh, I've, 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 even I've been tracked. The, the German, you had, you had the good German. The Germans would be proud because whenever I meet a German and I pronounce it "gunlock you, they always correct me and make sure, it sound it. a little bit more German. <laughs> but you know, I've never,
1: I've actually never um, heard it. Pronounced Gunlock, no, so gu- gu- no, no, yeah,
4: Gunlock. So it's yes. always
1: Gunlock Bunshu for me. But yes. Melanie doesn't yes. have quite the quite the history of actually drinking Gunluck Bunshu like I do. So,
2: but we uh, well, we've <laughs> been tasting it quite nicely. The ones that were sent. Well, I missed totally butchered French. So anyway, so let's take it yeah. back. So there are two German immigrants, Jacob Gunluck, who was a I understand a brewer in San Francisco, who purchased the lead, mm-hmm. and then Charles Bunshu, who joined and had some business acumen, and they became partners. Give us a little history there.
4: Certainly. So, I mean, it's what you said. Jacob Gunlock, who is my great-great, or was my great-great-great-grandfather, he wasn't the eldest-born child in his German family. And so he had heard about this crazy crazy thing going on in California called the gold rush. And since he wasn't the eldest born child, he wasn't going to inherit anything in his family business. So he decided to take a flyer and make the big journey to California, to San Francisco, specifically to, to strike it rich in the gold rush. But he actually ended up getting shipwrecked for an entire year and completely missed the gold rush altogether. But instead had it in him to open a brewery in San Francisco because he recognized that he could brew beer. He knew what he was doing and that was a need in the city at the time. So his original business was that brewery and then um, he ended up selling it because his true passion was in winemaking. He had dabbled in, in making wine back in Germany and in France when he spent some time there. And so he sold the brewery, and bought the property that's been in my family for 160 years. So incredible. shortly after yeah. that, it's it's pretty, I mean, there's we actually have his journal in our family archive still that was written when he was shipwrecked, his actual real journal. It's all in German, and it's pretty incredible to be able to have that type of history. But um, eventually he recognized that he wasn't the He was a winemaker. He wasn't a businessman. And so he brought on Charles Bunchu, hence the name Gunlock Bunchu. And Charles Mm. became his business partner, but actually, more importantly, became his son-in-law. Because Charles ended up marrying Jacob's eldest daughter. And really, since then, when Jacob passed away, he left the business to Charles and Francisca Bunchu. And that's how it's been in the Bunchu family since then, uh, up till the sixth generation, which is... The current generation running the family business, and then there actually is a seventh generation too, but they're a little bit too young to drink right now.
2: Well, I gotta tell you, it's such a great history.
4: Now, on the website,
2: which, which is a phenomenal, this is what stuck out besides that the two got together and then, and then uh, Charles married the daughter. Your family, they succeeded and, and things were going really great, right? And then mm-hmm. the San Francisco earthquake in 1906 hit and pretty much decimated part of the winery or a lot of the winery and, and really had such an impact that I saw that your family did a reunion to commemorate the earthquake in, 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 in
4: 2016, we, right? Yes. Yeah, we did. We did, actually. So it, we were one of the largest producing wine businesses in California up until that earthquake, it was mostly fortified wine because fortified mm-hmm. wine could travel very well on the train. Right. So we um, were producing upwards of a million gallons of wine up until the earthquake in 1906. And from there, the warehouse was destroyed and all of the wine mm-hmm. was destroyed with it, as well as the family homes in the city. So it was at that point in time that the family essentially decided to relocate from San Francisco and make our property Rhine farm, which is what we, what we call our estate, um, uh, their home for full, the full time and the foreseeable future. And they started building up the winery again and getting their life back in order. And then unfortunately prohibition began. And so we, we, did close our doors during Prohibition. We still managed to sell some grapes, but we mostly survived on um, growing pears and running cattle as well. That's amazing.
1: That's a great story. And, you know, before we get to the wine, there's one thing I really want to point out about the legacy of the of the Gunlak Bunchu and, and and the earthquake. Well, on the 100th anniversary of the earthquake, right. um, the Bunchu family made good on a lunch date that they had that had been planned for that day with the consul general of Germany in San Francisco. And then the earthquake hit and the lunch was canceled. So a hundred years later, the family had lunch with the German consul general in in San Francisco to commemorate to commemorate that missed lunch. What a great story.
4: It really is a great story. You certainly did your research, David. Yeah, we, we did. did do that. Yeah. And, um, that's one thing about my family is we're, we we make do on things, and then we also come up with pretty creative ways to market ourselves and stay relevant and kind of continue to add on to our legacy and our history. So
2: when did the winery, the as it is now, officially uh, become uh, reopened and back to its operating self after Prohibition, yeah. after having to rebuild that to the earthquake and basically relocating to Rhine Farm.
4: Yeah, so that's kind of what we dubbed the modern era of the winery, which would be my dad, mm-hmm. the fifth generation who really, who really brought it back to life and started making wine under the Gunlock Bunchu label again. So some other family history, my great-grandfather died at a very young age, and he had one son, my grandfather. And my grandfather receives that call that no one hopes to ever get when they're in college. Son, you have to come home. Your father passed away. You're now in charge of the family business. So my grandfather, Toll, essentially inherited our property when he was 19. And if you think about it, if you think look at the timing and the time frame, he inherited a business, but didn't know anything about winemaking because it was during prohibition that he was able to at least um, learn how to farm and do all of, and keep the lands, but he didn't know how to make wine. So up until from the 40s to the early 70s, it was we were mostly selling our fruit, but we were selling the grapes on the property to Inglenook and Almaden and Sebastiani and a lot of these wineries that have made so much history in modern era of California winemaking. But it was my dad who had taken his motorcycle voyage to South America and came back all bullish that decided to make wine again under the Gunlock bunchu label. So I've been told the conversation went like this. My dad went to my grandfather and said, Dad, I want to start making wine under the Gunlock bunchu label again. We make grapes. We grow great, great grapes on the property this is a great area to make wine. Let's do it. And my grandfather said, okay, if you make something and it doesn't kill me, then let's talk. So my dad (laughs) made wine. He wasn't, he wasn't trained. I mean, he just kind of learned it all on his own in the kitchen sink in the family home and made my dad taste or made his dad taste it and it didn't kill him. (laughs) So he said, Okay, son, I think you know what you're doing. You're showing passion and interest in this. Let's go. And so my dad and my grandfather replanted the entire property in the early seventies. We still have some of those vines still on the property and in production today. Uh-huh. And the modern era of Gunlock Bunchu restarted in nineteen seventy three. And wow. really we we yeah, we haven't looked back in my dad at the peak of the at the peak of Gumluck bunchu and his generation we were producing upwards of 90 to 100,000 cases of wine and in the sixth generation for reasons that I can explain if you guys choose to ask we cut our production to 25,000 cases and so that's where we we are about we've grown it to a, back up to about 45,000 cases today but um, that's really the, the more modern time of when Gunlock Bunch became relevant again was in the
1: 70s. Well, you have a... Let, let's talk a little bit about Rhine Farm and where in Sonoma it is. And, and what do you think makes it so special? Because you, you guys make some great wines. You were, and one of the things I like about it, I'm a huge Merlot fan, and you were mm-hmm. one of the first wineries to actually bottle Merlot varietally in California. So mm-hmm. let, let's talk about talk about your process and 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 rhine farm and and what your philosophy is
4: so, yeah so rhine farm to this day i haven't and i don't consider myself fully educated on a bunch of estates and properties around the world but i know a little bit and to this day i think rhine farm is by far one of the most unique diverse pieces of property that you'll ever find and It's mostly because of the proximity to the San Pablo Bay and the proximity to the Pacific Ocean and the two different soil components that we have that allow us to grow 11 different varietals on a relatively small estate property. And this is located in Southern Sonoma County. So we are considered Sonoma Valley, but if you think Sonoma County is a very vast, diverse county, that can grow a lot of things really well. But most people consider Sonoma County for being able to grow Pinot Noir and Chardonnay really well. But actually what we focus on and what grows very well on our property are the Bordeaux varietals. You mentioned Merlot, which has been Mm -hmm. a legacy varietal for us since the 70s. But predominantly most of our property is planted to Cabernet. And that's really what we focus on. And where we really hang our hat is producing this really complex, um, multi-layered, cool, what we dub cool climate Cabernet. And I say cool climate, and I use that term to basically um, to basically describe the area in that we are, and put it in a context relating to other areas of Northern Sonoma or even in Napa, because we get such we get that breeze from the San Pablo Bay and from the Pacific Ocean. So we basically have longer hang times on our Cabernet, which allows all the phenolics to just ripen very evenly so that you get a beautiful wine in the end. Nice, which spices to it. Really beautiful wines.
2: Um, we, we were sent, um, the chardonnay which i got to just wax poetic about i loved your chardonnay um i love your tasting sheet says um, i didn't see it till, till after i tasted it what i loved about it was i said to david this is a restrained Elegant mm-hmm. Chardonnay it wasn't as I call it. I wasn't being bitch slapped by oak, yeah. and um, which is what I don't like. Or you know, i feel like I'm like you know, sucking down toast and butter. It was, and and then I looked at your mm-hmm. your tech sheet. And it goes a model of restraint, and I was like, wow, that is awesome. <laughs> we had, we had the 2016, and the Merlot was that way too. It was just lush, but not again in your face. And we love that about mm-hmm. a, a great wine should not be in your face.
4: Yeah. No, not at all. Yeah. I agree with you. It should just be, be, be there and be present and be, and um, be able to be enjoyed alone or of course with a meal.
2: Now you're working on a new project. Um, Tell us about that.
4: Yeah. So I actually decided to, well obviously working for Gunlock Bunchu and the family day to day is still my number one priority because it is a family business and um, my brother's Mm -hmm. allowed me to go out and kind of have some fun with exploring Mm -hmm. different varietals and vineyards from around Northern California. And that's probably not entirely unique, but I have to say it's really, really unique to me and to our family, considering Mm -hmm. the longevity and the history that we've had in Sonoma, we never source fruit from anywhere outside of Sonoma County. So to be able Mm -hmm. to, find very cool vineyard sites in near Sacramento or um, in the El Dorado Hills, which is basically the Sierra foothills and work with fruit from these different vineyards and these different sites. That's what I've been able to do with Abbott's passage, which is the label that I started. uh, Let's see, I'm in my third vintage now. So I started it about three years ago and it was a way to be able to, scratch my itch so to speak on finding really unique cool vineyard sites that have a story beyond just where they are and um, have some fun with different types of trials and winemaking that might not be traditional and just be able to to have fun with it and showcase what the talent of our current winemaking team is and kind of the knowledge of the different vineyard sites that I've been able to research and develop and find.
1: Well it's an it's an interesting project. We we actually didn't get to try those ones. We just got the Glamakbunchu ones, but we'd we'd love to try mm-hmm. some of those. Maybe next well, time we come yeah, to California. We can,
2: yeah. yeah and I'm, I'm can curious, is that, that, that a price point difference? But just for our listeners who may be curious, I know that those are only available through um, select locations and the mailing list. Is the price point similar to your Chardonnay, um, Cabernet, and Merlot, which run um, the the uh, the Chardonnay is twenty seven, the uh, I'm looking at my sheets here thirty five for the Merlot, and um, mm. so around that I think I don't see a price for the Cab. But is it the same, or are they
4: going to be like a higher um more of a halo there so they're a little bit higher and so okay. one one that we we'll, we'll, we can send to you is uh Shannon Blanc Verdejo co and Ooh. that one is $30 and then but I I only made 130 cases of it so these are very small lines. Yeah, very exclusive. It's it's like everything, I've made five lines, and all of them are less than 500. I mean, the total production is less than 500 cases. Mm -hmm. So it's very, very small quantity right now. So that's why the, the white is 30, and then the reds are 60.
2: Okay, really, really nice. Well, the good news is, listeners, is that you can actually visit (laughs) Gunlock <laughs> Bunshu, you have a beautiful facility for uh, welcoming visitors. Tell us about that, and that we have a little yeah. so, less than a minute. So share share that so people can okay. come out and visit. Yeah.
4: definitely. We love to host people, and Gunlock Bunshu is certainly a location and a must see for people who come out to wine country. And certainly in Sonoma, we don't require reservations, but we recommend them, especially on the weekends, because we can get crowded. And I also want to throw out that you can visit Abbott's Passage because I opened a retail space about a year ago that's a mercantile maker's workshop space and a place to be able Mm -hmm. to try the wine. So you can, your listeners can make two stops one at Gunlock Bunchu and one at Abbott's Passage Supply Company if they come to Sonoma. well, yeah. we're there. We and can't wait the, to come. Spend the day with the family. Yeah, absolutely.
2: And and we also just what's wrong you also host a big music festival. Um, I know your brother just totally a music guy, so you are very into that as well. Yeah. So check out the yeah. very some very It'll cool events on the website. Yeah. 10 years? Wow. Ten year I mean like this
4: year. Yes. Yeah.
2: What's it called? Yeah, before really years. what's the name of it called? It's, <laughs>
4: So, because we like to make things complicated at our winery mm. in pronunciation, it's called Huichica Music Festival, mm. but it's spelled H U I C H I C A. So, It's called Huichica. Yeah. Huichica. It's a type of soil that is mm. on our property. It's predominantly on our property. It's called Huichica Clay Loam. And so, therefore, oh. since the festival's on the property, we named it Huichica. At Gunlock
1: Bunchal. And if <laughs> and if you can answer that correctly, you win Jeopardy.
4: Yeah, that's pretty epic, yeah, but
2: totally cool. We like it. We like it. Well, Katie, it's yeah. been such a pleasure having you join us today at the Connected Table. We want to thank you and we want to wish you and your family a very happy Thanksgiving. We can't wait to try more of your wines and to visit, and we hope everybody listening does as well.
4: Thanks so much, guys. Same to you. Happy Thanksgiving.
1: Thanks, Katie, so much. Happy Thanksgiving to you. And folks, just in case you want to Visit Gunlock Bunchu and, and read about it online. The website is gunbun.com. It's very easy. It's Gun gunbun. G-U-N-B-U-N.com. Yes,
2: gunbun for people like me who are Southern. So, everybody, happy Thanksgiving and always stay
1: insatiably curious.